Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. Hey there, this is Jillian on Love, and I'm on a mission to teach people how to completely revolutionize their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, single or heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, breath, and minds. I've coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. Today, I want to introduce two very special guests. They are a married couple, Carrie Lynn and John, and I've known them for many years. They were students of mine, both as yoga students and also relationship students. And the reason why I was so excited to be given the opportunity to interview them and to have them on as guests is because I don't think that there is enough examples of enduring love. I think many of us have examples of, let's say, our parents staying together for many years, but unhappy. Or we have examples of divorce. And sometimes when we think of, or at least this is true for me, and I know it's true for many people, when they think of two people remaining in a relationship or married for 20, 30, 40 years, and they seem happy, that they were always happy, that they're soulmates, and because they're soulmates, they're meant to be together, and that there's this magic to this, and we tend to romanticize it. This episode is to give you insight into what it is to be married for over 20 years and to love each other so much that you're willing to put in very hard work to make the relationship not just last, but to actually thrive. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. Almost anyone can make a relationship last, but make a relationship last and be happy, that's a whole different thing. And in our conversation, you will be exposed to much of their relationship and just listening to how they relate to each other and the love that they have for each other. And they got together when they were really young. They did everything I would have told people not to do. They've had many marriages within this one marriage including an infidelity, which they overcame by both of them taking such radical accountability, finding a really tough couples therapist that kicked their asses, basically, and just what it takes to make a relationship work, the level of commitment and admiration and just respect that they have for each other and the inner work that they were committed to doing on themselves so that they can communicate better. So it's a long conversation and we get into a lot of different things and I think it's going to be incredibly illuminating for you. Hi guys. Hey. Welcome. Hi. Hi. It's so good to see the two of you. Hi. It's been a long time. I miss you both. Oh, miss you. It's a different life. I know. It's a different life completely. Let's dive right in. When did you first meet and how did you first meet? Do we meet? In- we met in 96 and we started dating in 97. Tell me. Many I lifetimes wanna, yeah, ago. I want to know about when you met and how did you go from meeting each other to being in a relationship? Oh my God, so fast. It went really <laughs> fast, we- right? You did everything that I tell people not to do. <laughs> We're good at that, Jillian. <laughs> We're so backwards in so tell many us. ways. I know. How did it all begin? We had mutual friends that kind of set us up and those were the days where we spent most of all of our free time in bars. 
You were young, right? We were children. Yeah. And God, it's like hard to even go back to that time. But we would just meet at bars with friends and we met, at a, lot. we met at a bar. Actually, the crazy memory that I have at that time is there was another guy that Carrie Lynn was talking to there. And I came and started talking to her and she was wearing like one of those men's undershirts. I don't know what people were supposed to call them, but back in the day, we called back them wife the beaters. Back in the day, we called them wife beaters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call and, it a tank top now. And I came over and talked to her. And she put something on over top of it. She what? She covered up when I came to talk to her. (laughs) She's talking to some other dude wearing that shirt and was all like being hot. And then I came over and she like put a sweater on. Well, when we first met, we met at our friends, Jenny and Jeff's house. Jenny's my best friend. And she had told me about John. I was recently out of a relationship and I was moving back to Portland And she had told me about John, and I was curious about him because I think he had just graduated and he was moving to New York. We were at Jenny and Jeff's house, and I was there, and John came in. And Jeff is like a real music audio guy. like. And John walked in and barely looked at me and just rushed into the other room and started talking about music tech equipment. And I was like, Jenny, he's not interested (laughs) at all. Like He just shot past me. John, wait, what was your experience? Like when you first saw Carrie Lynn, were you not, were you just like, no, I was like, she's hot. Like I'm shy. I would think I was a very different person than I was much shyer. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have game. Not Yeah. No. Like you saw her and you were attracted. Look at her. Yeah. Well, of course. Okay. And then we went out drinking and we didn't really connect. And I was like, Jenny, I don't think this is going anywhere. And then we kept meeting up. Actually, you came to visit me at work. And asked me out on a date. And that was, <laughs> John's going to tell this story. <laughs> Carrie Lynn was like a chipmunk squirreling away as much of Dean and DeLuca as she could get in her mouth. I worked at Dean and DeLuca. <laughs> For people who are unaware, I don't know if it still exists, but it was a high-end prepared food market in New York City. So you went up to her and you asked her out? Yeah, but she was like a chipmunk with so much babka in her mouth. <laughs> and I was like, do you want to go out? She's like, oh, I have to go out. <laughs> And then we went out. Okay, then you went out. Okay. And then it was like, that was it. That was like... The, January 10th. That was A and we're still in B. It's been like, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> we moved in like three weeks after that. Okay, so how old are you? 26 or something like that. Twenty, Yeah, 26. Somewhere in there. Yeah, okay. 26. Half our life ago, we're 52 now. Which is part of the reason why I wanted to interview is because you've had such a long relationship, especially given the fact that you're still young. So you went out on your first date. Did you sleep together right away? We waited a while. That felt really sacred. That was like something we definitely held off on. I don't remember. A couple of weeks, a few weeks, maybe a month. I don't know. I think over a month. Over a month, really? Yeah. Interesting. Was that a discussion that the two of you had? Yeah, it was definitely deliberate. God, that was so long ago. Yeah. I I mean, we were very physically into each other, but like we didn't sleep together. I remember making a conscious decision to not. And what motivated you to make that decision? I think not to fuck it up right away. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, not to just be like, okay, that was great. See ya. Yeah. It also became more sacred. I think that it became a more conscious act. Anything that has consciousness behind it, I think just has more weight and more kind of power Maybe isn't the right word, but just more intention behind it. So it felt more considered. More considered. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because clearly you both really liked one another. You didn't want to mess it up. So you're like, let's wait. When you did finally sleep together, that's when things went full steam ahead. We were pretty committed from the get-go after that first slow start. And then January 10th date, it was like we were all in. Yeah, Like we'd spent... All of our time together. From first date to January 10th, how long was that? Mm, Well, our first date was January 10th. That was like our first solo date. Like we were going out together. Prior to that, it was, I think it started maybe in, maybe November. I moved in September 1st. This is wild though. I was seeing this guy from New Mexico and I was actually going to be moving back to Portland. I went to, his family was in Mexico City. I had just met John. And again, there wasn't like anything that had happened that, reflected what was going to happen in our future. But I was moving back. I had an apartment in Portland. My family's from Portland. And I was going to Mexico City with this guy. And then I was going to fly back to New York and fly straight to Portland 
to start my life over. I had, within the past six months, broken up with my boyfriend I'd moved to New York with. And I met John. And again, like there wasn't anything that would indicate where we are now. And I changed my travel plans. I called my family and said, I'm not moving back to Portland. I'm staying here. And the whole reason was because of John. Even though it doesn't make any logical sense, because we hadn't started anything, and we hadn't even really connected that much. All of this was pre our first date, quote unquote, our first solo date. And I rearranged my whole life plans because I felt like there was something that was supposed to happen with John. Real leap of faith. And yeah, that is a leap of faith and usually something that a lot of people would advise you, including myself, <laughs> against. But, you know, sometimes, you know, we just have to make these decisions and learn the hard way if it's the wrong decision. So yeah. you moved in together within weeks. Again, mm -hmm. something that I normally would definitely warn people against. Probably would too. <laughs> and here we are almost 30 years later. Yeah. Long time. A long mm -hmm. time. So... Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, I tell couples all the time that within a single marriage or long-term relationship, something that's comparable, you'll have many marriages. Yeah, for Does sure. Does that ring oh my true? God, so many different people. Yeah. I think we've been so many different people since then. Yeah. I literally think we were children. You know, we were like mid-20s, but we lived a very immature like party lifestyle, like no thought of anything besides what bar we're meeting at with friends that night. It was all about what makes us feel good right now. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of future visioning in our, in our plan. That's what being young is all about. It's like yeah. immediate gratification. There is no future visioning at all. How were you no. able to grow together as opposed to grow apart? Well, we've grown apart over time, but I feel like we've grown together more than apart over the course of those years. So I think that there's... Lots of learning in there. Yeah. I mean, it's really fun to become interested in something new and have that influence who you are and what you're about. And I always appreciate when that happens with you, too. It's like a new unfolding, a new chapter that's like, oh, cool. Let's see what this is about. Yeah, it's mm. kind of the ultimate to actually be able to watch the person you love more than anything continue to actualize new versions of themselves. I think it's like the most astounding gift ever to actually be that close. I just got chills because what most people experience is that when they watch, they want things to be fixed because change mm. can feel so threatening. Yeah. And you just said it's a beautiful gift or an astounding gift. Yeah. A lot of people, they see their partner start to grow and change and they start to feel very threatened and then try to control the scenario so that their partner does not change. And that's where people and couples get into a lot of trouble. Your willingness, openness, and just your loving the fact that you could witness one another change and evolve. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but do you think that might be part of the secret of your success as a couple? Yeah, yeah. We're game to try new things and evolve as people. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way, Jillian, as a success or key, or I feel like that's key. too small of a word to use, but it's like, I think it is what keeps us together and what keeps us interested in each other. I love watching John learn new things. I love watching him come into new versions of himself. I think it's really interesting. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I was thinking about playing bass. I just started playing bass. <laughs> Carrie Lynn was like, should you play guitar instead? So maybe not in all situations you should be truthful, right? This Actually, very minute. I really don't want you to be a bass player. Can you I mean, it's just instruments? not the cutest instrument to hear somebody playing around. The <laughs> That's hilarious. How um, did you guys learn how to communicate if you got together when you were babies and drinking and not much? Like, how Lots did of therapy. You yeah, I think therapy. I think that was you? the key. Like, I think our early, I don't know, 10 years of our relationship was just about like pleasure and eating and drinking and partying and meeting people. Very young New York, like 
always going out, never, ever home. And New York City was incredible then. It was just like so vibrant and fun and people were doing so much cool shit everywhere. There were so many yeah. amazing things to do. And I'm sure that is still the case. I just have zero idea what it is. But in, in some ways that was probably an avoidance too. Yeah. Like I was never a planner. I was like always, I'm just in the moment right now. And I think you were more apt to be like, what is our future going to be like? And, yeah. and I couldn't have cared less about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was the immature one then. But then, you know, like you change. That didn't work for us. And, yeah. and it really didn't work for us at one point. And we, I blew our relationship up because that didn't suit us anymore. We had reached a dead end in that. Yeah. I think we thought we knew how to communicate, Jillian. But when stuff got really messy, we had a pretty profound realization that we had no idea how to communicate beyond very simple matters. Where mm -hmm. are we going tonight? What are we doing today? What are we having for dinner? Did you like that movie? Like very kind of low level conversation. And the way that I was raised, I, my, I didn't come from a family that was super communicative so that was very normal to me. But getting older and as life becomes more complex or became more complex for us, there was a pretty gaping hole in our communication style that we pretty quickly realized when things got more challenging. So we committed to learning how to communicate. I would say that is the key, even more so than watching the growth of the other person is like our ability to communicate and our willingness to learn because... I didn't find that easy to do, to be really transparent. I just didn't understand it, and it was very charged for me. I always felt on defense with it. And now I've gotten better. I'm not, I'm not the best, but I'm, I've definitely gotten better. I would come at it from a place of reaction before, whereas now it's more I can hear things out and see them and not feel like it's an attack. It's just communication. So growing up in your household, Carrie Lynn, People didn't communicate, so things would just be swept underneath the rug kind of thing? Or more volatile reactions. Sometimes swept under the rug, but a lot of... A lot um, of yelling? A lot of yelling, a lot of drinking, a lot mm. of just turning the other way from communication. How did you learn to adapt? I tried to make everybody comfortable. Mm. Tried to navigate function like a peacekeeper, mediate, keep the peace, make sure everybody was okay. So you became the peacemaker. Yeah. I tried to make everything okay. And I was really observant. I would just watch a room to see, you know, both of my parents are alcoholics. So it was like, there was like a constant monitoring, right? What's happening here? And so I feel like that's a skill that I've picked up that sometimes I wish I hadn't have picked it up because I feel like I watch things really closely. Yeah. You're looking for yeah. danger. Always. Yeah. How has that served you? And how are you still the peacemaker in life, in your relationships, if you are at all? I think it's served me. You're very good at reading a room and people's emotional underlying states. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I weren't quite so in tune with that. I've learned over time to create a bit of a barrier between somebody else's emotional state and mine. I'm pretty porous. Again, it's like still a work in progress, but I think it's good. It allows me to have a lot of empathy for people. I feel like yeah. I have a deep care and concern for others and what they're going through because I always watched that and I always felt like I was that person that was on the outside watching things. So I try to make people comfortable through that process. I can lose myself in that process a bit, though, because I'm accommodating others. Yes. But I'm learning. I'm learning more about it. And in our relationship, it's quite interesting because I used to just want to keep the peace at all costs. That was Like I would just run question. from argument. And John is very argumentative and very, very chill until he's not. And so I would always, when there would be any sort of like eruption or fissure, I would just try to get away from it as much as possible. And John wouldn't let me. So you would avoid the conflict. Make it okay. I would just be like, make it okay. Make it okay. Mm -hmm. Make dinner, make lunch, make breakfast, make everything nice enough where there's no issues. That was my rule kind of as a 
kid too. Was that something that you would be aware of, John? Would you notice Carrie Lynn going into these sort of states? It probably wasn't entirely conscious immediately. Yeah, it wasn't but, really conscious. But did it frustrate you? Did you ever feel like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't think that I was looking through for a connection through winning, but at the same time I was self-sabotaging because I wanted to win an argument and I would be a dick to win an argument just because I thought that was the goal. What did you And I would about, just fold. Yeah, and you would just fold. Like immediately. The moment you have victory, quote unquote, over your partner, you lose because if you're triumphant, then they feel like the loser and then they battle. And then yeah. everyone's sort of disempowered. What did you learn about communication growing up? Oh God, you know, well, first of all, my memory is terrible. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we're, <laughs> second of all, second of all, <laughs> I think whatever was happening in my house, in no means was it like a terrible situation at all, but I was just like, okay, I'm out of here. I got a skateboard when I was like 13 and I was just like gone. You know, I'd be home for dinner and stuff like that, but I was just like very checked out from the emotional quality of my house growing up. What was going on that you were trying to escape from? I think my mom was a little volatile and my dad was very silent. And also it was like the suburbs and I hated the suburbs. Yeah, you were bored. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God, get me out of here. I was always like looking for trouble. Or looking for fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The same thing. Same thing. <laughs> just anything to make me feel more alive than I did at the time. Okay. So I'm trying to set up the scene between the two of you, like looking back at a pattern that the two of you had communicating where you would then discover you needed a therapist to help you communicate. So Carrie Lynn, you would just do everything just to avoid the confrontation, make everything okay. You would fold. Mm -hmm. John would be like, no, we're talking about this now. I'm going to win this argument. And I would say it was less we're talking about this. It was because my perception of it so much was repressed and numbed with our pursuit of pleasure, that it wouldn't go into discussion. It would go from fine to argument. There wasn't in-between ground where we're discussing this. It was just like a numbing until the numbing didn't work anymore. Until you were just totally reactive. Yeah. So how far along into your relationship did you start to have problems? I think the main thing was like trying to get pregnant. That was very challenging. That was super challenging. And we waited a long time. I think we were, I was terrified. And I don't think, I thought we were ready for that. But we pursued it and it didn't really work. And I think that was the beginning of, oh, this is, we don't know how to be together. We don't know how to talk. We don't know how to process bad things. We're good at having a good time together, but we're not good at being there for each other when it's hard. Yeah, we were really good at having fun together. We weren't so good at... Supporting each other's difficult yeah. times. Yeah. So that sometimes breaks up couples. Yeah. Was there a conversation like, we need to work on this? I don't really remember that. We were adopting. We tried to have a baby and that didn't happen. And then we were in the process of adopting and that was just a mess. The agency that we were working with was shut down for fraud by the Department of Justice. And yeah, that was... people went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was like really... Total fucking mess. And I think that was sort of the beginning of the end because we could get letters from the Department of Justice about what was going on and like a lawsuit and like, you can get this amount of money back if you're part of this suit. And we just put all those letters in a drawer and didn't even open them. Just Couldn't like handle it. Too painful. So painful. And that was sort of like the beginning of... Realizing how far we were from each other. And to mm -hmm. be honest, I wanted that adoption to happen so much. But looking back at it with time, I'm like, if we didn't have the ability to process the adoption not happening, it's probably not the worst thing that a baby wasn't matched with us at that point in time. I think both of us came, from, well, I'm speaking for myself, but I came from a place where I had a lot of doubt about myself being a mother. I didn't know how to do that, and I didn't fully understand it. And with that experience, I do feel like there's a bit of information in there that we weren't mature enough to go through that process. Like if we couldn't handle the worst case scenario that happened in that, 
I feel really thankful that we didn't have a child in that realm as well when we were so unable to process as a couple or a family, even though it was incredibly hard. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Yeah. So was that the thing that got you both in couples therapy? No, I had an affair. It was the beginning of a new version of us learning how to be together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we considered splitting up at that point in time. That was obviously on the table. This was when, with the whole disappointment with the adoption. Shortly thereafter. Shortly thereafter, you talked about splitting up. Yeah. After the affair. After the affair. We, I mean, we, we didn't Not live before in the same the place affair. for a while. Not before the affair. We still at that point didn't have the skills to communicate. And then the affair was like a full-blown five-alarm fire. Like the house is burning to the ground. Do we want mm-hmm. to rebuild this house? Do we want, is there any foundation that's left here that we want to start afresh with, anew with? Let's talk about before the affair and and the chasm between the two of you sort of getting bigger. And I would imagine you both went into your own little emotional holes as a result of experiencing that disappointment with the adoption, correct? Definitely. And so you're both dealing with the sadness and the stress of that. And I talk quite a bit about this idea of emotional fitness and that how we deal with our stress plays a really gigantic role in how we show up for each other in a relationship. And that a lot of times what ends a relationship is not a lack of love. In fact, many people will get divorced or break up and they'll say, I still love the person, but what ends up leading to a divorce or a breakup is more often a loss of connection. Or people will say there was an affair, so we got a divorce. Okay, what was going on leading up to that? And usually always there's just a loss of connection. So you don't, the two of you got together when you were young. Your relationship was about having fun. You both said kind of immature relationship. And then life gets real. You start to get older and then you start to realize that Not only are you not communicating with each other, but you're also going on your own journey with your relationship with self, not having the tools to respond to life's challenges. So how long were you living under the same roof, completely disconnected? A long time, I think. Yeah. Probably a few years. I would say longer. Really? Yeah. 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 But I don't think we were aware of that, Jillian. I don't, no, I'm, you know, I, would I think with not. hindsight we can see that. But I think it's interesting now. I feel like we can track that quite easily, given mm-hmm. where we are in our relationship. At that point, I don't think I would have thought there were huge issues. I also really? didn't have emotional intelligence, you know, the way that I do now. I didn't mm-hmm. any emotional fitness. Like those muscles hadn't really been developed at all. So I think that I don't think I even would have recognized that. We had fun. We were, were still we having had fun, fun together. Were you still yeah. having fun during that time? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It was hard. Like there was like I think we were tamping we were using the fun to tamp down on the sort of underlying problems. You weren't talking to each other about your feelings. No. And this is what was modeled, not to blame my parents, but this was fully the scenario in our family. It was like, make it nice, make it okay, tamp yeah. that down, and that stuff will go away. Not realizing that's, you know, putting stuff in like a cesspool and yeah, thinking it's just going to go away. I didn't realize that. I thought that if we just keep the peace, then we keep the peace. But with many years on me, I'm like, oh God, what a silly idea. <laughs> So you weren't having you weren't having hard conversations. You were avoiding no. the hard conversations. Definitely. Yeah, no. yeah, no. That must have been though. If you look back, that must have felt really stressful because we can pretend like everything is fine, but I don't know. I think we feel it in our bodies that things are not fine. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would have nightmares all the time about John leaving. Okay, there you go. Like so, you felt insecure. I haven't had those in. I don't even Since know. Since last long. week. Just kidding. <laughs> a couple Just nights kidding. ago. <laughs> last night. <laughs> right. So you were starting to feel insecure. 
Yeah. But on the outside, I felt like that was not warranted. That to me was just anxiety that came from nowhere. But if I look at that now, that's, it's directing the information. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to, it was like a language that I hadn't learned yet. Now I can see that language and be like, oh, this is happening. But then I didn't know what it meant. It was like discovering a whole new way of being. John, what was your inner experience during that time? Do you remember? I think very frustrated. Yeah. Mm. I think I was unfulfilled and frustrated. I didn't know. Like usually when I'm like that, I can just throw myself into a creative pursuit. And I don't really remember exactly what I was doing then. I was becoming a photographer. So I was throwing all my energy into that. But that was like a commercial pursuit. It wasn't necessarily an artistic expression. It's actually really common for men in relationships to, when they're under a lot of stress from the relationship, to put all their energy. I mean, women do this too, but I see this more commonly in men historically, that they'll just then become workaholics or, again, bury themselves in a creative pursuit or some sort of work pursuit. It's all avoidance, really what it is. Yeah. Because you just don't have the tools. I think that's what people have to understand. It's like, it's not just about, attachment styles. It's about if you don't have the tools to have the hard conversations, if you weren't taught that, of course, you're going to avoid it because who wants to have those conversations? Yeah. And to me, those conversations, this was something that was always interesting that you would always point out to me. I just thought that meant it was the end. I didn't have the intelligence to understand that the conversation actually moves you slightly more towards the future self that you want your relationship to be. And who you want to be in a relationship. Yes. Exactly. Like I saw so much volatility growing up that just seemed like the demise and the end of something. So I would avoid it at all costs. Like I would just, I didn't understand that you could fight and somebody wouldn't leave. That was just a total mystery to me. I did not see that. And you pointed that out to me, you know, for a long time, tried to like get that through to me. And now I finally understand it where I'm like, oh, an argument doesn't mean the end of something. And when I recognized that, that was a big pivotal moment for me in the relationship to become aware that conflict doesn't mean somebody doesn't love you. I have to tell you, that's one of the biggest lessons that I've had to learn about relationship. I've always, you know, had this belief that if there's conflict and then the person just is mad at me and stops loving me and then it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, because especially if you're raised in an environment where a lot of people hold grudges, then you think if they're mad at me, then they hate me. Yeah. You're either going to hold a grudge. So I get that. Do you see that? Not to break things down to women and men, but I am curious if you see that happening more on the female side or is that distributed evenly? It's not distributed evenly. In my experience, it is a little bit more on the female side, but plenty of men will experience that too, for sure. But yes, in my experience, do you both know much about attachment styles and have you reflected on your own attachment style? We did when that was happening. I don't totally remember, but we did go through (laughs) like Stan Tatkin's book. Yeah. And Josh Corda talked about it a lot. Yeah. What is your attachment style? If you, I think it's, you know, I think it changes. What are the names there's, again? There's anxious, there's avoidant, there's, you know, there's all these iterations of different ones. I'm half avoidant, half something else. I can't remember what the other thing is. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what I am. I can't remember. We should pull out that book. <laughs> yeah. We're going to jump forward and back in time a little bit. So now today you communicate differently. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. We know how to be present in the other person's unhappiness. Yeah. I think be there for them, you know, like life is complicated. We're like, when we're also like pursuing complicated goals that are like very um, elusive a lot of times. Yeah. Yes. Life can be hard. I mean, also beautiful, you know what I mean? But also frustrating a lot of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What did you, John, have to work on within yourself to be able to be more present with Carrie Lynn during a difficult moment, let's say? Was it patience? Was it something in your body? Was it breathing? Like what? I think it's like just stilling myself. Like I'm a little bit ADD and like I can 
only pay attention for so much time. I bet you can pay attention for a long time if something is really captivating you, but it's difficult to stay attention, pay attention for a long time when the woman you love is upset. That can be, that's not easy to stay present for necessarily. It's, it's important, but it's not easy. I think, yeah, it's about like, it's almost like a meditative state. Like I'm just going to pay attention to what's happening right now Mm -hmm. instead of worrying about other things. I think also, I don't know if this resonates true for you, but I think that I had expectations of John and he put himself in a position of just pleasing me all the time, but not because he wanted to, because it was had become his role. And I had, I wasn't great in the relationship back then. And I had expectations of who he should be and what he should do and how he should be. And I think through your own therapy work, you really discovered how to Listen to myself. Listen to yourself. I can be really loud and I overbearing and it's something I'm aware of. And John is definitely more quiet and introspective. And so I think you started to own and step into what your needs were. And even though I found that kind of challenging at first, because it was like, oh, wait, that's not who I signed up to be with. I actually became very intrigued and more interested in John as a person when he started to claim who he was. And I think that was a big part of us coming back together is you getting to own who you were and discover who you were and me seeing that happen for him and actually finding that really interesting and mesmerizing. Wow. You said something that that's so important and that is you refer to them as expectations. I sometimes refer to them as rules is that we have these sort of rules Mm -hmm. about how yeah. Life is supposed to be how we're supposed to be, how our partner's supposed to be. And we have to have some expectations and some rules. But sometimes our rules are so rigid oh, and yeah. they lend themselves to a lot of codependent behavior. Like they need to be this way so that I can be happy is really the undertone of it. How did you even start to loosen up on those rules and change that? Therapy. Therapy hands down couples therapy. I hated our couples therapist, but he was <laughs> the greatest thing for us. God, I really didn't like him as a person, but he was great. Interesting. He, totally... he didn't like him as a person, but he was a good therapist for the both of you. No, he was a great therapist, but I thought he was a total... Well, when we went, you were like, you were under the assumption that he was going to like straighten me out. And then everything would be fine. And he was like, you guys are both really fucked up. (laughs) There you go. You just said it all. We go to therapy and we think, fix them. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, he had an affair. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, he's the one. Let's, let's, if we can, let's talk about that because, you know, John, you had the affair. So then you go into therapy and it's like, he's the villain. (laughs) I'm the victim because he cheated on me. And then you have a therapist being like, wait a second, actually, you're part of what just happened to that is a lot. So how did you get over the affair? You know, it's interesting when I was thinking about talking about this, I think that affairs are super complicated and complex. And I don't think that many people are just having affairs who are cruel and want to hurt their partner. I think that would be a highly unusual situation. Agreed. I think most people who are having affairs, it's a act, like burning down the house, especially if you don't have skills to communicate as to the severity of the problem in the relationship. And for me, I could see the affair as that. I could, believe me, there were days that I just thought John was a monster Mm -hmm. and he exhibited behaviors that I think he would willingly say, like might drop him into that category. But I never thought that John was a cruel, mean person. I thought it was heartbreaking that we had gotten to this point, that this was the call for action. This was the thing that was going to make us recognize how deeply wrong our relationship was at that point in time. And so when I think about people who have affairs, I really think of it, I almost look at it as like, with sympathy. Someone wants to do that to another person. Like, I really just don't believe that is the case. I think it is so traumatic and so hard for everyone involved. I really believe that it is a highly challenging situation that becomes a part of your history and your story. 
And for me, we've come out on the other side of it. Like it allowed us to rebuild because I owned my part in it. I was like, I'm going to own my part in you getting to this place because you're not a horrible, mean person. Mm. And when I began to own my part in it and recognize that I was a part of the equation, I wasn't the one who actually struck the match, but I was, I was there. I was, I was a part of that. That allowed me to forgive in a way that I don't think I could have gotten to if I had just solely blamed that on John and made it his act as opposed to ours. And therapy helped realize that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we had couples therapy. We both got individual therapists. Yeah. We had yoga and muffins and <laughs> with, you, with you. Yeah. No, the, the, so this is important for listeners to understand yeah. that it wasn't just the couple's work. You did individual work as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I was think, huge. I think that was, for me, it was definitely, Josh got me to a place where. Josh is your, was your therapist. He was our couple's yeah. therapist. Uh-huh. He got me to a place where I could express my anger because afterwards I was just like wanted to make things right. And he's like, you're lying. What are you hiding? You're hiding all the fucking time. He's like- oh, I love him. He was like in your faces. I love it. Oh my God. Oh, he was like a baseball so bat. Like a baseball bat. Every time. I'd show up late every time to therapy because I'd be like, who wants to go get beat up? <laughs> yeah, but it like, It's like showing up behind the alley and like waiting for a punch in the face for an hour and then paying the guy at the same but time. Worked. But it, it worked. worked. It, it totally worked. worked. And I would- <laughs> recommended to everyone. Yeah. But I mean And then for my personal therapy, I think it was really like Mari was like, what do you think? I'd be like, I don't know. What do you mean? What do I think? I don't have thoughts. You know what I mean? Like I don't have feelings. Mm -hmm. It was really like listening to all aspects of the emotional qualities that I have. And being like, okay, what is this about? I mean, I guess it really taught us how to be people in the face of how complicated life is and be okay with that. Yes. And so many men, especially men of your generation and much older generations, don't know what it's like to feel their feelings. So as a result, a lot of men, because they've been taught not to feel their feelings, will be lacking in the emotional intelligence department, which is what frustrates, if we're speaking heteronormatively, which which is what frustrates a lot of women. So how did you become more emotionally intelligent and in touch with your feelings? Mm, I think it was just permission, just the permission that therapy gave me Mm. to be like, okay, some shit's fucked up. Sit with it. You're not gonna, you don't have to run. You don't have to run. Yeah. You don't have to get on the skateboard and escape. That must have been very uncomfortable initially. It's still uncomfortable a little bit, I think. Oh, yeah, you know? of course. I'm sure like in a lot of ways, I still avoid all those feelings. But I do my best not to. And knowing that doesn't lead to a good place is helpful. Has working with your body, I mean, you're both do yoga. That's how we know each other initially. How much is when you feel a difficult feeling, and this is addressed to the both of you, whether it's in your marriage or just in general, how much is returning to your breath or connecting to a deeper breath, how much does that play a role in this story of just trying to be present, not react, not go into old patterning? I think it's something that we learned and is kind of there. I mean, I think of all the sort of like breath work or yoga or any of those things, you come and go in and out of them. Mm -hmm. And there's a base layer that is always helpful even when you're not practicing those things. Like I stretch every day for a little bit, but I don't really do yoga anymore. We live in the middle of nowhere. The <laughs> pandemic happened. You know, it's not the same life. We can't. You but stopped you teaching. The muscle, but you have the memory. <laughs> you were taught how to breathe. I mean, the brilliance about like true yoga asana, which is similar to why people are even going into the new rage of everyone going into an ice bath is, can you be in a difficult position and breathe through it basically? Yoga is more than that, but that's one of the things that I think that our nervous systems are being trained and our psychologies are being trained mm. to do. I think you're really good at pointing that out to me when I'm having a challenging time. John will parrot you and say, go change your state. Like, we'll yeah. talk once you've changed your state. Yeah, I'm all the time. I'm like, we could talk about this after you exercise. Like if we're not I'm talking about it now. 
Yeah. Okay. And then I go and I do it and I come back and I'm like, I feel great. Yeah, we don't even really need to talk anymore. <laughs> okay. You know what I love about that? And I want to really highlight it for the listeners. This is so important because it seems so simple, but it's really important. You're in a state, you're not regulated, you're mm-hmm. crabby, whatever. John lays down a boundary. We're not mm-hmm. talking about this now. You need to go change your state. So he lays down the boundary. You accept his influence instead of fighting him on it. Sometimes she fights me on it too. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. But then you do it. And then you come back and you're like, yeah, I don't even really want to. It's all good now. We don't even have to talk about it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I feel, yeah. I mean, that's a skill I would definitely attribute to you that we learned that modification of state. And then you get to talk about it. But it's not really in, not until you do the modification. Such a waste of time without the modification. It's so circular. Do you think people call it quits too soon in their marriages and relationships? I don't know, because I think everybody's situation is so different. I think there's this perception of when a woman, quote unquote, like takes back the husband that I think can be presented as like a lack of empowerment or settling. And one of the reasons that I like or enjoy or feel that it's important to talk about infidelity is to recognize that is not always the case. And everybody's story is wildly unique. And if you do the work and if you put in the time and you're with the person that you want to be with and you both have a collective goal of sharing your life together, like, you know, we've been together for almost 30 years, like things happen over the course of time. And so I'm totally in support of if somebody feels like it's time for them to leave a relationship. I'm also totally in support of if somebody committing to staying in the relationship, given circumstances that I think from the outside people can think are just solely negative. The experience was very challenging. I also think the experience has given me a lot of compassion and empathy and understanding for others as a whole, for John as a whole, like to look at him as a whole person and understand the pain that he was in to get to that point, to inflict that kind of pain on me was immense. Mm -hmm. And so I have no idea if somebody should leave or not leave. I think it's up to them and what they want to commit to and how important that relationship and that person is to them to create their life story together. Yeah, that's beautifully said. If you were to boil down to three essential keys, and we've kind of gone over them this last hour, to making a relationship last and thrive and grow, what would those three keys be? We went over them already. Some yeah, of them. I think we did. I think learn to grow with the person, learn to appreciate the other person's pain and be there for them and be open to all the experiences that life have to offer. Yeah. I would also say making a choice every day. Neither one of us has to be here. You know, it's like this really amazing choice we get to make to be with each other on this life experience and share our time on earth together. It's like that kind of blows my mind. Like I have my person that I get to walk through the world with and experience the world with and see the world in a different way through you know, John has like a really unique way of seeing the world and I get to be privy to that. Mm-hmm. That for me is one of the biggest things. Like even, you know, when we had split up after the infidelity, it was like, I missed seeing the world the way John saw the world. And I wanted us to see that together again. Thank you. Love is? Everything. All there is. The best. <laughs> it sounds to me like you also think that love is a verb or a choice. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just add to that accountability because if the both of you were not able to be accountable, I'm not just talking about the affair, I'm talking about just day to day, just even the decision to go to therapy, the decision to work on yourselves, the decision to, you know, work out when you're in a crappy mood, all of that is accountability. Thank you so much. Thank for you for sharing your story. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful one. And like I said, there's just not a lot of examples that we 
get to see of enduring love. And so many people have a romanticized, idealized version of what a relationship and what love is. Mm. I think that what people don't see enough of is the grit that is necessary to spend 30 years growing up with someone and literally growing up together because you went from kids to this. And so, of course, there were major bumps in the road. So I really just want to honor you both for doing the work and for sharing your story with everyone because I think it's going to be very helpful and inspiring to many people. So thank you. Thank you for including us. Yeah. I think stories are so important, right? To show paths that we can emulate or walk. And I know that there's been so many times over the course of our relationship and all the kind of highs and lows that I've wanted someone to look to, to be like, oh, that's an interesting path. How do I go down that? So I do hope that sharing what we've experienced over this time is helpful to someone. Oh, for sure. On some level. For sure. Thank you. Thank you, Jillian. So I hope you enjoyed the episode, this interview with Carrie Lynn and John, and look into just enduring love and surviving infidelity and creating a beautiful relationship over many years. Please rate and review. I would love it if you could share this episode with as many people as you think could really benefit from this because you just never know whose marriage you could be saving, whose life you could be changing in any way. And also, I just think the more that we are realistic about what it takes to make a long-term relationship work and beyond realism, just understanding what the work actually is and what it really is to love someone and to be loved. I think that Carrie Lynn and John exemplified that beautifully. So please share this and... Thank you for listening. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Countshouse, edited in music by Will Tendy. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, Join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.